continuing on this expedition to highlight, you know, some of the last accessible leaders in our society, cats that have been on the bandstand looking to inspire and heal cats and themselves for the last half century. Uh, in doing so, passing on these stories in a variety of different mediums to my generation and younger generations about how real music is made, uh, the, the leadership aspects of bandstand experience, concepts of love, overcoming adversity, and the lineage of their you know, musical palette. And uh, I got a chance today to speak to a guy uh, who's been, uh, st who's still at it. I mean, he's still doing it. He's still staying up late. Still cooking the groove. John Garlack, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thanks, Jake. Really appreciate it. It's an honor, my friend. You know, I, I am curious about um, your early exposure to the greater Detroit area insofar as um, clubs like, you know, it was a bastion of jazz and R&B, uh, even in the early and mid-60s. Um, you had Aretha Fra C.L. Franklin's church. You had the 20 grand. And I know that as a white cat, I don't know if I'd be hip enough to be going into the black parts of town, but I just wasn't sure if you were exposed to that or you know, if you could talk about you know, the first time you were got hip to the fact that Detroit was this pulsating mecca of, of soul and funk and jazz. Yeah, see, um, actually, I, I actually cut my teeth on the Detroit sound, the uh, R&B, the uh, black music. Um, my first band uh, was a blue-eyed soul band, the New Breed. And we were white guys. Uh, a couple of them were my cousins. Wow. And we... we wanted to be black so we did everything black <laughs> I music, did. Yeah. We, we dressed like that everything and we played all the the obscure black tunes not just the mainstream stuff but the obscure um underground black if if you will um music and so that's that's how I cut my teeth and um only because I, I I just thought the uh, the black culture had had more soul. Um, when the Beatles came out, I wasn't a big fan because I thought, ah, oh, these white kids they don't they just don't have any soul. <laughs> right, right. And so, boy, <laughs> I was always into the black style of music, soul music. Well, let's let's just break this down because. Uh... I was listening to this, not Dave Matthews band, but there was this really funky dude, and he's still with us, he's in Japan, uh, his name was Dave Matthews, uh, he was James Brown's arranger for a while, and did some seriously amazing funk albums for a white cat, and he did these covers in the mid-70s of update, you know, sort of electrified like popular soul tunes like My Girl, Just My Imagination, You Keep Me Hanging On. Yeah. Okay, like, and it's so, we were, I was jamming out with my friend last night playing congas. He was on guitar. We were having a ball. But what, when you talk about the underground soul, you're talking like Dyke and the Blazers, Hank Ballard and the Midnighters, or just local Detroit cats that, like Washboard Williams. I mean, I, I'm curious about, like, what, 
what what tunes you guys were working were cooking the groove on? Yeah, it it was. I mean, we we did the popular sure tunes, of course, just to keep the audience. But but our main passion was like there was a few um, black radio stations, uh, WJLB. Uh, what was the other one? WCHB, I believe. Wow. And they they played all of the, um, not obscure, but I mean, and the only word I can conjure up is like an underground. I know that wasn't it, but, but it was radio stations that primarily the black people would hear um, and, and have on. So, so we were, um, my cousin lived, lived in De- Detroit and, um, surrounded by, um, the black culture. And we were just so attracted to that. And especially the, uh, uh, not the mainstream black stuff, the, the, uh, intricate stuff, uh, Let's see, Ronnie and the Manhattans. Oh, you to got mind. to be kidding me, dude! This is this is totally new territory. Ronnie and the Manhattans. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, what else? Um, a lot of those names ex- ex- escape me now, but but I mean, uh, um, you know, um, it was just so intriguing and interesting and and so soulful that we were just attracted and we wanted to, I guess, just take it one step farther into the black genre. And we were like, like we played, we did a lot of gigs in, in Flint. And so, wow. Um, wow. Um, and we did all of the black gigs. Um, we, we appeared at the, uh, there was this uh, um, regional meeting, I guess you would call it, in Flint of the NAACP, and we were the only white kids, let alone being the only white band there, and that was us. We were just these little white kids doing amazing soul music, and... Um, they loved us. We were the blue-eyed soul brothers. That's how we were. You're, you're, you're saying that you were you were playing black clubs. I mean, like to, all, all the black clubs. This is unbelievable. You're telling me that, like, because there was a there was a famous band. You know, I know that you know we were, we're we're fully interconnected now with the internet and everything, but. Um, there was a there was a band called the American Breed in Chicago um, around the same time. You you called the New Breed, but yeah, like yeah. like, can you talk about the and just for my own perspective and younger cats like that you had the Payola scandal where you had like these bands like Hank Ballard and the Midnighters or what it's singing quote unquote raunchy lyrics and then. You know, Pat Boone would would do a cover of it and whitewash the whole thing, and then it would become a huge hit. Um, sure. Then you had like, like you said, like popular uh, acoustic 
soul, like the the Motown, like the uh, the, the the early Marvin Gaye's and the Martha Reeves and yeah. the Vandellas, and like that was popular. What in your mind? Could you articulate what made this a subculture of black this this underground black music? What made what made it that way? What separated it from the the more popular stuff? Um, you know, I really don't know. I mean, were they were they singing like raunchier lyrics? I'm I'm just trying to figure out like was it just like would you stretch out more? I mean, because to me it's like. Some of the stuff that makes stuff popular is like making it palatable to square audiences. So you're just kind of going through a formula trip. I'm just trying to figure yeah. out what made it even more of a subculture than it already was. Yeah, I think that that's that's the key um, thing. Um, you know, you've got your AM hits and and um, and the black tunes and the black bands were 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 there um on the am radio back then but i don't know it he just seemed like it was it was more black or something i or more it's okay i, I mean the, let's, the, let's flint is, is commercial, yeah. I guess. huh not as commercial not as um um i mean you could have taken any one of those so-called underground black tunes and with enough promotion, they were good enough to to become hits in the mainstream. Um, I don't know why a lot of them didn't do that. I imagine money, I guess. Um, um, but it just seemed like those tunes that we were getting from, from the... Uh, the um, black radio stations were—I don't know—more soulful. I, I did no. I, I really, you know. I mean, I don't. I think it's amazing that it was happening in real time. Were you? Were there? Yeah, were there? Was, yeah. It's incredible. I mean, so this was essentially though, like you're you're, you're putting this around like sixty-five in that range, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. We started uh, sixty-five, sixty-six. Um, um, and we got the new breed name from a James Brown tune. I think she said, uh, uh, let's uh, do the new breed thing. <laughs> and, and, and that's where we got it. We thought oh, we're, we're a new breed. We're white guys, uh, um, doing amazing black music, soulful stuff. And, um, it's kind of like it was. It was a badge of honor, kind of. I mean, bottom line, we we wanted to be black, and we wanted to do the black music, and we wanted to 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 have soul. And man, we we pursued that, and we played like I. I mean, we played all the black clubs in Flint, and we we did play the the. Twenty grand, one time. Holy crap! This is unfreak. I I just oh, took a. That was a shot in the dark, yeah. man. It was a shot in the dark. I took. I'm like, I I think oh. Garlack might have played the twenty grand. Oh yeah, one time. Um, uh, we played mostly in Flint. That was our 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 stomping ground. Right. Um, um, um. I don't know why. Maybe a smaller town, and maybe we were. It, 
accept it more. I don't know up there. I'm not sure. Um, but um, yeah, we play the 20 grand and uh, um, it was amazing too that, that um, like a lot of the clubs, when we played up in Flint in these black clubs the first time, um, we were booked there and we would walk in and, um, you know, they, everybody was real skeptical about us. They thought, what are these little white pups doing here? What, what, what do they think that they're going to do? I mean, just because they have tuxes on and, and thick and thin socks, <laughs> they, they, I don't know if they got any soul or not. Well, and, and, and so it was pretty rough getting in, but once we set up and played, oh man, every, uh, I mean, we couldn't, we, we, they cared, they got us drink, they, they, they pampered us, um, cause they were impressed and, and kind of honored that these white kids would come and really do this soul stuff like like black people well and you know doing yeah. it doing it authentically in your own way but like yes. like everybody yes. could everybody could feel that soul you know yes and so when it was time to load out they were carrying our amps wow. they were carrying that's on dude this is unbelievable were, i don't think i yeah, i mean were, i outside of like Guys that were in mixed race bands from that time, maybe yeah. a little bit later. I don't know any dudes with you know with light skin color who were in yeah. black cities playing black clubs. I, I just it doesn't register for me right now. That's un. And to say that they were that, um, I mean, I'm not surprised because I know that whether it's Barry Goldberg going down from his neighborhood to the south side of Chicago. Or Hawk Walensky, <laughs> you know, I mean, the black musicians were so inclusive yeah. and they, they let, there was no bad vibes, which was just so incredible. And here you are, yeah. it took a lot of balls to get up there and do that kind of stuff. Were you playing original tunes or was it all covers? No, it was all, um, mostly, well, there was a few tunes, but I mean, we just stuck to the, to the, um, covers, but the, but the 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 covers of the lesser known tunes, and that even made the audience say, "Wow, these guys are really into it, and they're taking the time to <laughs> not just go to the mainstream stuff; they're they're going in deep. They're I love this, deep dude! Wow, to the black culture, to the black view, and and we we prided ourselves on doing that, and and obviously they, the uh, I mean, they loved it. They 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 just love. I mean, playing that NAACP um, regional meeting, you know, like I, they we were five white kids. Um, with five thousand black people, and and everything was just fine. Uh, this is the, I, you're, I, I just want to be very clear about something. I, you, you, I also as honestly as you can, because um, was there any um, 
did you ever have any any experience one time did you ever get um blowback from uh i don't want to i mean the clan is everywhere it, it yeah, wasn't it, i mean right. like I, I i just have stories from cats that were you know in the 70s driving through louisiana and you know they right. they'd flip off a clan bookstore on the side of the road and then literally they were all held at gunpoint i just i figure like you probably got some blowback for being five white cats playing black music. I would assume that might have happened. Yeah, well, well, we we did, but only in the beginning before we played. See, before we, we right. Played. What do you it mean? Like before the? But you mean before you formed as a band or before the gigs? No, before the gigs. Before, like we would walk in cold, right, and um, being booked there, but. Walking in, in cold, and I mean, there was really like, like, um, I maybe people with more brains would have packed up and left. <laughs> that's, how, that's how bad it was. I mean, there was one story. Um, uh, it was called the Cafe of Gogo, and mm. we were scheduled to play there in Flint, and we had gotten word that the guitar player got shot on stage last week there at the uh <laughs> and we, we thought oh my god you think we no we're gonna do it we'll do it it can't happen again you know yeah we got soul man we got soul and and we did and um so so i would say probably the only the only Weird vibe was before we played. Um, then, of course, we were we got kind of well known mm -hmm. up there, and 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 people came out like we did a lot of um, uh, cab cabaret style. It was like uh, somebody would rent a hall and provide the uh, the pop and the. Uh, Bloody Mary mix and all that, you would bring your own and they'd have a band there and you just play and they would drink and, and um, we did, did a lot of those. You did like, and, like um, I mean, you were doing, I mean, would, you know, I remember <coughs> talking to guys like John Sebastian and the Love and Spoon, Spoonful, like they actually went on Chitlin circuit tours with, I think, like, some of the old blues masters, like, they'd open for them. Yeah. I'm just really? curious, I'm curious about, like, being that you were, there's a couple questions here. Yeah. <clears throat> Was that, those, were those radio stations uh, ever crossing over and playing, like, the Blue-Eyed Soul, the only cats that I feel like authentically pulled that off, I'm going to probably leave some out, but... Uh, was you know Wayne Cochran and the CC Riders? Would those would those yeah, stations yeah. play uh, Blue Eyed Soul or was it all black music? And then the second question is, did you guys actually wind up ever getting such a following in that Gary Flint? Uh, you know, sat, did you ever have any kind of Chitlin Circuit tours as a band? Well, we 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 um, approached it like. And we were like proud. All of our gigs were the Chitlins. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, do you do you have do you have any like I I need to 
This is like beyond the pale, man. I've never heard anybody have his. I mean, this is a rare. You were the only cats doing this. There was no other white band doing this this stuff. There was no. There was nobody else. I don't think they had enough guts. And yeah. plus, they 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 didn't have the soul. And right. my my um, cousin, who was our lead vocalist, skinny white kid, uh, Polish guy. Uh, and man, he sounded boy. I'm, I'm telling you, he sounded like Wilson Pickett. Yeah, I know. I dig, man. He, if you got soul, you got soul, man. Don't care. It doesn't matter what color your skin. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, and 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 uh, they they maybe occasionally these these um, black stations m- might do a Wayne Cochran. Although Wayne Cochran was kind of like a. Uh, um, like an exaggeration of, boy, he had he had some tall hair, didn't he? he, wow. he you, know, I, you know, sometimes I listen to his, I just listen to some of his stuff, and I'm like, dude, this is kicking hard. You know, it's like, oh, and, and the Everly bro- and the Everly Brothers. I, I don't, I mean, you know, again, this is not in my bag per se, but like, there were like cats that were uh, so influenced. I mean, I think Jaco Pastorius got his start with Wayne Cochran and the CC Riders, but it's just like. No, I didn't know that. Really? <laughs> yeah, wow. I think I I got. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he. That was his first band he was in. But you know, I mean, it's just looking back on it. Um, was it was it something? Was the new breed? Even though you were so, I mean, not you weren't playing free jazz or avant garde music, but because you were so right. avant garde, being in the height of the really, I mean, right before the massive riots, but it was still the the height of the civil rights era. And here you are just like laying it out there sure. as vulnerable as you can. And sure. did you, what was the closest you came? I mean, there was like golden world. I've interviewed Mike Theodore, Dennis coffee. What was the closest you got to ever cutting a 45 or a record? Well, actually we, we actually did. We, we, um, what? We got involved um, with a. Uh, um, strangely enough, uh, he was a rockabilly artist. His name was Johnny Powers. He was um, um, in his late in his latter days. He 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 became like an icon. But um, uh, he he kind of took us under his wing, and um, hmm. we actually. Recorded. We went down to Memphis, and and um, um, Johnny Powers um, had an in with Sam Phillips. Believe it or not, get out of here, man! No, oh, I swear to God, no! And and so we we recorded down there under Sam Phillips's. Um, Record, uh, it was, it was called, um, the Holiday Inn Records. And actually, it's, uh, it's, uh, you can go on YouTube and look it up. And, um, 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 we were, uh, he changed our name to Larry and the Accommodations. But, but, um, we, we were doing the, the, Blue-eyed soul stuff, and he actually put it out. Um, I think it even had a bullet. It, it had a bullet and cash box or something like that. 
nothing much happened really but but yeah we recorded that um earlier we recorded um um we were on the same label as the buckinghams uh what was that usa label this is insane i mean hold i want to go what was the name of the 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 self-titled album new breed with sam phillips um that was we recorded one well two 45s. What was the, yeah, so give me one of those songs. Do you remember the one of the songs you caught? Yeah, Love is the Answer, and um, uh, what was the the B-side? Love is the Answer, and what was the other one? It was on the Um, Mm B-side. Oh, I want to, oh, It's All a Bad Dream was the other one. You can look that up and um, give, give it a play and um, uh, check it out. Um, I mean, this is mind blowing stuff. This rockabilly cat was—he was already recording with for for Phillips down there. Is that how you got the connection? Well, yeah, he, I'm not exactly sure how he got the connection, but he was—he was, he was um, s- sort of in that that Elvis um, that. Um, Elvis Vane back in the back in the early days, and um, mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm not exactly sure if he had any any r- records out. I think he might have wrote a song. Uh, I'm just I want to throw this out here. Uh, Diplomacy oh. Records, Green Eyed Woman, the New Breed. Yeah, that's not us. See, I'm in love. That is, I'm in love. No. Nope, nope. Check out. Go, go to. Um, let's see. Uh, I'll do the research later. This is really important, oh, though. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you, so you went. To, do you remember? Uh, so you went in there. Was there ever? I mean, not that you're going to tour based on a forty-five, but like, did that? Did you? Did you? Did that? Did those ever get radio play at all, or did they just sort of? Um, I, I believe they did. Um, you know, I I think basically um, there was there wasn't any money behind it, sure. and our management wasn't that that hot of a management team. So, you know how it is. You can be James Taylor, but if you don't have any noise behind you, you're you're gonna yeah, hundred freaking percent, dude, and you much. nailed it. Yeah. You know, I, I before we move on, I just I want to ask you about. Um. Well, so obviously you were steeped in soul, and yeah. and that and and that that R and B. Um. <laughs> you know there there were uh you had the the Bluebird in West Side of Detroit Baker's Keyboard Lounge. Did did yeah. what what was your expose? I think the Nakarama Club. There were so many different. I'm talking about the jazz side. Not that you were trying to be Kenny Burrell or, you know, Grant Green or yeah. you know Pepper Adams, yeah. but like, did were you did you get were you hip to some of the? Because I mean, there was no hotter jazz. Uh, I mean, bastion of jazz. Obviously, if you wanted to quote unquote make it in jazz at that time, you went to New York. But Detroit was a hotbed of activity. Did you have some exposure That's to the to yeah. the jazz scene? Yeah, we we never we we knew about it and we um, 
yearn to play at those clubs, but mm. but we were more of a like a um, like an event um, type party, uh, uh, um, um, wedding, uh, 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 business meetings, um, NAACP stuff, mm. uh, uh, coffee houses. Um, you know, not not many bars, not not playing nine to two, not that. Just mostly doing 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 a couple of sets. Um, uh, no, because you know, like talking, and actually, most of us too weren't 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 of age. Like I, I think I might have been the oldest. I, gosh, I, I think I was nineteen or twenty, something like that. Um, um, so so it wasn't necessarily necessarily bars it, it was more more coffee houses and and parties and and events mm-hmm. black events uh but yeah we were so aware of 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 that scene and yearned to like be a part of that but but we were more um yeah, I mean, I get. I mean, you you had your own niche, you know. That was that was the reality. Yeah, I mean, yes, exactly. Yeah, I, right, right. I mean, we had. I mean, we we made it a point to have black girlfriends, for God's sake. I, I, this is I unbelievable. Mean, I, I just, I really can't believe you broke through the glass ceiling. I don't know any other. There were bands. I mean, there was no doubt there was crossover in all those midwestern cities because right. just because there was just so much. Um, uh, migration from the you know the plantations in the south yeah. up to the you know uh, especially Detroit. Um, I always found it interesting that um, I remember talking to Phil Upchurch about this, but just like I'm always curious as to why St. Louis never became that bastion of. I mean, it was a very hot musical city, but compared to Chicago uh, or even Detroit, and I just feel maybe yeah. it was maybe it was a little bit more racist down there. But it, you know, either way, they had a huge migration of colored people up there. So I mean, yeah. there was this crossover effect. Um, did you get to a, when the at a certain point? Um, wh- what was the you know where were, was the band still intact when the riots broke out, or in '68 or so? Like where? What was the dissolution of that band? It seems to me like you know it it could have had some it it definitely had a shelf life, you know. But what what was the the, yeah. the dissolution of it? Well, well, I remember. Um, um, I remember watching a caravan of tanks going down the freeway, right. uh, going towards Detroit mm. for the riots, and um, we were on the black side. We we thought, well, yes, rightly so. This these guys. I mean, these. Uh, I think it all started. Um, there was a raid at a blind pig or something like that and it all started like that but i mean we were we were on the black side we were we we did not want to be we didn't want to be white we wanted to be black so 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 we uh i mean it didn't really affect flint much uh, um at, at that time and like i said we weren't really playing a lot in detroit proper um but um um, we felt like we felt we were part of it, and we felt like we were too the underdogs because we were we were 
we had white skin, but we were black, man. We had soul, and 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 so so we we uh, mm. we um, were on the black side. If if there was a side, we were on the black side, and and um, so it really didn't affect what had happened. Um, you know how when you do projects and and uh, the projects start to. It starts to get long. Yeah, yeah, it starts get yeah and tedious. The, yeah, and honey, yeah. And the honeymoon is kind of over. <laughs> yeah, and um, and so that that was kind of happening with with our um, our soul band. The other guys were getting stoned, uh, unbeknownst to me, and and they were changing, and um, um, and and so it it kind of dissolved, but. But coincidentally, that's when I first took a toke, and um, some guy played me "Sweet Judy Blue Eyes," and and that did it for me. My whole world changed in two minutes. You were actually uh, totally complete. There was no, uh, you didn't smoke any weed in the mid '60s at all. That was the first time you got no, high. We we were exposed to it. Because there there were plenty of it um, in the black scene, plenty of it. And, oh yeah. But I mean, we were like, oh no, we can't. Test. No, no, that's. You guys are we'll such good cats, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, I mean, most, I, you know, most people was like, you know, God, thank God they didn't get caught up in heroin and coke. But like, you, I mean, you guys yeah, were like, yeah. you know, not you were apprehensive about smoking a, a, a joint of of of. Uh, Swag weed, yeah. but I just freaking love yeah. that, dude. So you got so then your mind. Did you did you can you talk about your first psychedelic experience? Um, are you talking about like like um, like like LSD? I mean, weed, weed, marijuana. I mean, it's it's come a long ways, yeah. but like you know, the, the the staying power is only a few hours. You know, I mean, it, but like the right. the trip right. really can. Right. Uh, I mean, it, the it can melt. It can be an ego deflator. It can also just be the most transcendent experience. It can be a bad trip. I'm just curious about how psychedelicized you became uh, before you left for the West Coast. Well, we, um, so, so, um, what had happened was, um, it was time for me to get stoned and I did. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) I mean, it was just time. Yeah, I dig, I dig. I was, I was kind of late to that game, kind of. Um, um, but, uh, her, Crug still Nash, the sweet, and changed my my whole world. And then um, um, did that, and I I can't specifically remember my first trip, but I, I do remember the the first one that I can remember. It was with <laughs> yeah, RJ that's Fox. the one I want. It was with RJ. Fox and we were together maybe like a few months. Had worked worked out tunes and knew that that this was this was an amazing thing uh, that's happening. And uh, we all we all took it. Um, we had we had a band house in Ferndale, Michigan, and we all took it. And um, you know, trip for eight hours. And um, God Almighty, just went through all kinds of. Changes. I mean, I never 
I never came back from that. <laughs> that is unbelievable, <laughs> dude. So you, it, it, that, that, so you were in a barn, essentially, like you were just sort of like in farmland territory for, and just uh, the band itself, and you got some good clean acid, and just it was you were gone. Yeah, it was um, our our. It was a band house. Uh, um, all of us lived there. Um, and, um, and, and of course, um, we had to take acid, like the acid test, like the Grateful Dead mm -hmm. did, what we've heard about, we had to do the acid test, not, not play on it, just, just try to make it through the trip, um, and we did, and, um, I mean, that just kind of made things solid for the R.J. Fox band, that, that kind of just, um, we like knew that we were cosmic crusaders forever. You were totally, you were totally melted together at that point. Yes, yes, yes. It, it was, uh, well, I mean, was, I don't uh, want to be clear. I mean, the acid, you know, I've chronicled a lot of the, I've interviewed a lot of the original Mary pranksters that are still alive yeah. and wavy gravy yeah. and stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> were you guys at a certain point, I mean, would you be host, not necessarily, no, you of course not playing on it, but like, you know, it was like on the East Coast, you had, you know, uh, you know, Millbrook with Timothy Leary, which was more like, you know, in isolation, you'd, it was like an introspective thing, you, you know, you'd sit in a room by yourself and trip out and, you know, have these hopefully decent cathartic experiences, but, you know, it was in isolation, then West Coast going the, opposite way with like bathtubs full of liquid acid everybody yeah, dosing yeah. you know and not not necessarily music where did i mean did you guys have that the, when you talk about an acid test i think about a, a lot of people um did you have one of those situations with where you had a bathtub full of acid or was, where was the midwest on those on those acid no, tests we just we just had had people that were that had it and that we like bought it and back then you could basically trust that it wasn't uh, oh my god it was the purest stuff ever at that point it was basically still legal i mean it was i don't know what year that was but i mean there was a time in san francisco you could go to the league for internal freedom like today with cannabis you know you you could go to this place called the league for internal freedom and get strips of acid because it was still legal yeah, yeah. I, I can remember stories of of hearing things out west where um <laughs> The Grateful Dead would do shows and, and and stuff, and they would give out acid at the door. Yes, because it was legal. It was legal. Because it was legal, and and it, I mean, everybody was tripping out. Um, actually, that 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 actually happened. Well, I'm getting way ahead. Sorry, right. no, it's all right. No, it's he, he just remember that that gig that R.J. Fox played with the Grateful Dead at. Winterland, that Sam Cutler made it made an announcement uh, to the crowd and everybody to be sure to drink the punch, and so everybody did, and there were like five thousand people just blazing on on acid. Oh my god! At Winterland, and and um, <laughs> we did Cutler was good. I mean, there there was no like, there was no like. Um, this is the Kool-Aid, this is the generic Kool-Aid, this is the acid Kool-Aid. It was all just 
everybody just get it spiked with the, the whole thing was spiked with LSD. Yeah, Sam Cutler comes. Okay, everybody. No, Sam, he's English or yeah. And he, okay, everybody, you know, make sure. Come on, boys. Yeah, I I, I know the acts. I've interviewed him. Yeah, I love him. Just just strong and powerful and demanding. You know, bring you got to drink the Kool Aid and. And, and, and everybody did and holy shit man it, I, I mean the 5,000 kids were just tripped out on good strong acid now now they they warned us before the show right they said now hey if 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 you don't want to trip don't drink the Kool-Aid and I thought oh god I'm so glad because man I just didn't want to do our first gig with the Grateful Dead on Acid right then. I, I just, uh, uh, I mean, it would not. It would just have been terrifying. I just would not have oh, wanted to go. My yeah. Lord, yeah. I could. I just, I, I would have dissolved right in front of. You would have melted into a puddle on stage. Yeah, <laughs> you're exactly right. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, the acid back here, there was like a mescaline, you know, in capsule sure. form acid tabs, a uh, blotter acid. Mr. Natural, um, all that stuff, and it was, it it was abundant here, I think, and it was good. And um, R.J. Fox didn't really do uh, many trips together. I think maybe two or three. That's um, all you need, really. I mean, you don't need much more. That you you know, ones and might be enough. Really, you know. You're you're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Larry um, Coriel to, told me that. Larry Larry Coriel is like one. Yeah, he was a pretty addictive personality, rest in peace, but he... Oh, God, me too, yeah. You know, he I, was just I, like, I, I, one time would have been plenty. You know, I, uh, Brother Garlic, I mean, uh, what was that, ex- what were your memories from that, I mean, that was sort of the peak, I, you know, a lot of people consider that to be the heyday of the Grateful Dead, you know, that period of 73, 74 um, yeah. incredible, um, uh, you know, one drummer, um, here you are, yeah. RJ Fox, you know, just sort of, you know, I chronicled it a bit with Siegel about just, you know, Geffen kind of being disinterested. Were you in the band at that point with Geffen? Yeah. Okay. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, um, we were in Detroit playing, playing at the back seat, uh, um, doing, uh, making our, Rent money. Yeah. Uh, um, RJ Fox, um, just us guys, uh, Joel, Richard, Sherry, and me. Um, that, that was the, the beginnings of RJ Fox. Um, um, of course, those guys were, were together before, but anyways, um, that's right. I, I know that's my question. Before you go into this, how did you link with them? Because you were not in the original group. Uh, right, right. What had happened was um, I played at the back seat in, in in different with different people, and and so I knew about it. That was the hip place to go to see see um, um, uncommercial um, music acts and stuff. Was in, this was, it was it, where, like, where in Detroit? Where was this? What, what, what was the, the this, street? This was in Key, Keygo Harbor. And it was like a, um, it was like a, a, a long room, like a bowling alley 
uh, a long bar room with a stage at the end. So cool. And, uh, I mean, pe- peanut shells. That was it. They would give away free peanuts, and there were just peanuts every in the bathroom uh, everywhere. You're peanuts just crunching. Everywhere. Your feet were crunching on shells everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah pile high. So, <laughs> so uh, we, we played there. Um, 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 but what had happened was, oh, right. I'm sorry. Um, a friend of mine um, who went to the back seat too um, said, "John, you have to go and see this vocal group. These guys are really good." And blah blah blah. This was at the time when I was I didn't have a band. I wasn't playing in the band. The soul band had been broke broken up. New breed, new breed had broken up. Yeah, yeah. New breed's gone and. Um, getting stoned and growing my hair long and just completely <laughs> changing, changing no, everything. Morphing, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, so I'm I'm at the beginning of my of my becoming a doggone hippie. And uh, uh, this buddy of mine says, "You have to go to the back seat. Check these guys out." And so I never did for months and months. Never did. And then finally, I did. And I went there, and I thought, "Oh, wow! They've, wow! These guys have something going. The vocals were amazing, and Sherry was—God, I think she was 18 at the time. But man, she was like—I uh, mean, she had the, the deepest, biggest voice in the. And I thought, "Oh man, I, I gotta check these guys out." So I, I approached them, and. Um, we had a conversation. They came over to my practice hall. I still had one. Um, a week later, and um, we talked, and I played, and and um, and uh, and then. And, well, hold on. I want to stop you. Well, they 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 had knew they they had known you Garlack before, or what was the conversation about? I mean, no, you're just like, I'm a musician. I think it would be good to collaborate or what was that about? Yes. Yes. Um, I was trying to find something to do. Mm-hmm. My options were kind of slim. And, 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 and so I got, I approached those guys and, uh, was just, uh, kind of just, just light talk at first. Uh, um, we had musical interests, um, probably still Nash and Joni and all that. And so that, hmm. that was kind of our hmm. first, uh, cohesiveness, I think. Um, and, uh, so then we kind of, I kind of made it, we, they made an appointment, um, to come out a week later to my practice hall. I had a practice hall. And so they came out, uh, Joel and, uh, Hub, I think. I don't think Sherry was with them, but uh, they came out, and we t- talked more uh, about uh, concepts and ideas and um, um, view of the world and view of all this this new this new hippiness that was happening, and and uh, we can change the world and and with our music and all that stuff and. And, um, and I played them a few things and, and, um, um, and they said, well, geez, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, 
why don't you come down to our band house and and we'll try to do a few songs and so i did and we got stoned and and i did and they just um um dove deep into joni and and laura nehru and and all that and of course my mind was blown because because I mean, if you want to talk about the temptations, yeah. But I was still new, new in this acoustic. Now the fo- the folk era stuff. You weren't that the hip. Folk- yeah, 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 yeah. I, I was, did. I was not. I was a soul man doing the temptation walk and all that stuff. I did. I mean, no, I mean, but I, do you feel like that? I'm just curious. I mean, they, that the, with the with the trio that was already there. What what were you, were you bringing a, di- a different octave to the band? Were you bringing an instrumental flair? Were you just bringing that soul from the new breed? I was, I was, Joel wanted a lead guitar player, uh, but not, not your, your, your classic. Yeah, I dig. Uh, not, what, you're not John McLaughlin. Yeah, I get it. Right. Not, not your classic Eric Clapton, bluesy rock yeah. and roll stuff. No, he didn't want that at all. He wanted, something artistic and new and 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 outside of the box um and um and and of course uh that started to happen when i went to their house got stoned and and they played me their songs and um and i played around with it and it seemed to click and um so um me Eventually, I, I moved in to to the band house and and all that. Um, uh, but we rehearsed and um, and got it together, and it it was like a magical. It was a magic. It was a magical thing. It was like they they had this this uh, this audio painting, and and I was adding my brush strokes in there. I love it. Um, I'm you also friend. like he wanted he he wanted somebody who could uh, improvise but tell a story in a short period of time. He didn't want you stretching exactly. out for twenty minutes, right? Yes, coloration. Yes, and, yes. And um, it's amazing too because um, Joel Joel, of course, he he um, um, in the beginning he would walk me through each song and and. Um, um, the way that I would write my part, because I wrote my part, it just wasn't like a jam. It was like uh, it was like an orchestra approach. You had your part and you played your part, but you worked it out real stoned and 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 tried to get the the best notes and phrases to accent what was going on with the vocals and. I love no. That's exactly no. It's called being part of the conversation, really. Yes, you know, yes. It, it was like we we had without without before. without being like without like wanking it, you know, without like you know like yeah. look at me, look at me, but like like doing it in a very um, gumbo, exactly. like being part of the gumbo, you know. Yes, yes, and and even even the way that Joel like like at that time i wasn't really too too hip on the uh on on the uh the scales and that i really didn't do scales or 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 or, or that stuff um um 
but the only like the way that I would write my part, Joel would be there, and I would try a few lines out, and Joel would say, um, "Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good, yeah, yeah, cool." Or, "No, I don't know, that's, that's not in the mode." Right. That's the only the only instruction, the only word that he used to kind of get me on the right track was a uh, 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 mode. It wasn't in the right mode. That's the only instructions. Um, um, nope, that's not the correct mode. Or, yeah, yeah, that's it. You've got the mode perfectly. And and so we would do that bar, bar for bar. <laughs> verse for verse, we would write this uh, this this part hmm. and um, and um, um, I mean I really didn't even know and I really wasn't even concerned about it that I didn't even know what key the song was in it was just all all from the heart all from all just um, sound and coloration and nothing nothing technical nothing just just doing just hearing the right notes and the right um, riffs and and going for it that's that's what it was it was just modes modes like oh that's a dark green mode or oh yeah that's a that's a a, a hot red mode or, or something like that and that's that's basically how I think at least that's how we approach Absolutely. Well, that's not on. Listen, this uh, in a lot of ways at that time, so much of the music was, uh, <clears throat> you know, they, you know, it was like a synesthesia kind of thing where tastes yeah. turn in, uh, uh, you know, tastes turned into uh, to hearing and uh, and you know, yeah. visions turned into tastes, and you know, you're talking yeah. about color modes, and it wasn't academic it was it was completely yeah sort of following the muse and what felt right for that muse or the mode so to speak exactly and and what what was good for the song what would enhance um the song like i i added my brush strokes to the painting right is how it was and then and then when um when Marty, our bass player, came in, he he played off of me, and so he had added his brush strokes and did his unconventional approach at that time to the bass. And my lord, it was like adding—I mean, the trio was good to begin with, but adding Marty and me. Yeah, it was like, like one adding, living, adding, breathing adding, organism. Adding. It was like yes, it was like taking four or five people uh, in individuals and making a, a whole other entity. John, I want to, I want to, I want to pause it here for set one. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll let's continue on with set two. I'll, I'll reach out to you. I got to do another set two with Siegel as well. But I, I am really having a ball. Uh, you know vetting this stuff and, you know, to hear your story. I mean, I was like, eh, maybe, you know, cause Siegel was playing like ski lodges out in, uh, you know, out, outside of Detroit. And I'm like, maybe Garlack was playing 
I'm like, maybe he was getting down with the black music, and here it is. You're the only freaking blue-eyed soul band that was playing black clubs in Flint, Michigan. I mean, that is ridiculous, dude. You're right. You're exactly right. I'm sorry. That's why I do my show, man. So it was. I had a ball, man. Oh, this is a blast. Yeah, yeah. this is a blast. All right, we'll do. We'll do it again, and we'll uh, continue on with the uh, the the story of R.J. Fox and John Garlic. Cool. Uh, say hi hi to Joel. I will, man, and uh, much much love, man. Keep it happening, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Talk soon. Be cool. Bye. Bye.